Welcome to another episode of The Zag. It's Eric DeSoeb. Thanks to everyone who's downloaded the first six episodes that launched last week. You can find it on iTunes. You can download it on Podomatic. Uh, but we're excited to add our seventh episode today with 2012 fellow Lauren Perez is here. Let's get to it. Lauren and I were just talking about her her travels, but I wanted to ask, did you watch the Emmys on Sunday? I got a chance to watch part of it. I didn't get to see the whole thing because I was at my parents' house and we were between Univision and <laughs> and the Emmys. <laughs> and then when you watch award shows, given your, your line of work, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit, what do you tend to focus on? What do you look for when you watch things like the Oscars or things like the Emmys? I mean, definitely... Um, the representation of of who's nominated and, and who's winning awards, diversity has become a very important issue that my union is is paying attention to, but that I know a lot of folks who do advocacy for diversity in media and entertainment. Um, so that's that's definitely something that was front and center. So it's good to see that there was the first, I think, Black woman uh she won an Emmy for for writing an episode on Masters of None, um, and Sterling K. Brown for This Is Us. So I pay attention to that stuff, and also as as a union organizer for SAG-AFTRA, um, I just in general watch it for research. Research is good. Uh, let's talk a little bit about SAG-AFTRA. So for people that don't know, what do what does SAG-AFTRA stand for? It is the Screen Actors Guild. American Federation of TV and Radio Artists. We are the... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Saying, they've been together for a relatively short amount of time, right? For a while, there were two different units that then joined. Is that how That's it came correct. to be? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In 2012, um, the members, the union members of SAG and of AFTRA, took a vote to merge the two unions so that we could have more 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 bargaining, bargaining power. power yeah and then how does one officially get into the unit itself um there's a few ways one way is to actually book a job where the the work is is union covered so it's a speaking role essentially so if you get a speaking role on a tv show or movie a commercial or a project that is it could be an independent film that is covered by the union then that qualifies you to be eligible to join and then you pay an initiation and that's pretty much it you fill out some paperwork the other way that actors have joined the union is if they're they're doing background work if you're a background performer or also known as an extra um, on three jobs you collect a voucher for each job and three three vouchers gets you eligibility so you kind of have to establish that you are in this business as a professional um and then yeah and then you're eligible to join the the actor the writer part is it really just one speaking role or one part could land you in the union or again like extras it would take multiple things over time to get in right so if you're an extra or a background performer as we we prefer to refer to to background actors Um, well that's yeah anyhow there's a there was a whole movement within the union to re rename uh, background performers as background actors as opposed to extras because they do perform, they just don't have speaking lines. But um, with that said, you still need 
you need to get hired on three different projects as a background actor to then get invited to join the union. So you become, quote unquote, SAG-AFTRA eligible. And then let's say you'd land a role on a TV show or a commercial that's that's covered by our union. And that pretty much is anything that is a mainstream, big budget production. Then you're also automatically invited to join. So it's not automatic that you become a member. You just you have to pay an initiation fee and then um, and sign up. And then just so you know, our union also represents. So we, we cover actors that work on television, film internet programming as well, right? Like there's a lot of new stuff being created for online platforms like Hulu and Amazon, Netflix. Um, The other big area that we also represent um, workers in are broadcasts like TV and radio, uh, broadcast television and and news. So talk shows, for example, those um, certain competition reality shows and also TV and, and radio news stations. So and it's pretty been, broad, our yeah, membership. And then you've been spending your time a little bit between L.A. and Miami. So what have you been doing a lot of your time with in Miami? Well, actually, so this is something I've been very excited to work on. Um, several years ago, probably about four years ago, I was assigned to figure out how we begin to organize the Spanish language television industry, which has been pretty much entirely non-union in this country. So for a little background, um, you know, SAG and AFTRA date back to the 30s and the 50s when television and film were just kind of an emerging industry. And so the actors at the time organized to have just basic protections on their job that they didn't have, like overtime uh, pay, like an eight-hour workday. They also didn't have residuals or health care or uh, retirement. Those are all things that our union members have now. Um, and then just in general, I think in those in those days, this, the big production studios, like the movie studios, would sign their, their top celebrity actors to these exclusive contracts. So they pretty much drafted these agreements um, so that the performer pretty much was owned by the studio. So flash forward to uh, 2017 and actually... Um, I mean, for the last probably 15 years or so, uh, Telemundo, for example, Univision at some point, and other smaller Spanish language networks that are based in the United States began to produce programming uh, in Spanish, right? Because there's a big population of American viewers that speak Spanish and prefer their their content in Spanish. So, um, yeah, these productions began to to really grow and thrive in the last few years, but yet the performers uh, were not growing with that success because they weren't represented by anyone. I mean, they were, they were pretty much just negotiating their own deals through their own personal managers or agents. That's kind of how the industry works, right? If you're an actor that has a certain status, you'll you'll have a team that helps you bargain your own contracts. But even then, even the stars were not able to negotiate for residuals and residuals are payments that a uh, actor receives if the show or the movie that they appear in is successful and it and it's you know sold or rerun so every time you know t- a, a, an episode on TV um, is rerun on cable or it, it re-airs on on the same network that it's on then advertisers pay money right to to be able to put commercial slots in in those um 
during those programs. So anyhow, that's that's a major form of income for a lot of actors who are typically freelancers and they're bouncing from job to job. So if you land a role, um, for example, on NBC, let's say you're working on a show called like, This Is Us, you land a role and you're you're part of the main cast, then you're you've got a good steady job for at least you know, the duration of that show. And then if the show's successful and it is later on syndicated on cable or rerun, then there's residuals. And a lot of people end up sending their kids to college that way. A lot of, you know, working actors are able to make pretty comfortable middle-class jobs and they don't have to be George Clooney or Brad Pitt to, to live well. Um, but on the flip side in the Spanish language entertainment side, um, which in the case of Telemundo, um, NBC actually it owns Telemundo, um, the Spanish language performers there uh, weren't getting the same benefits and protections as English-speaking performers who work under a union contract for NBC. So what we saw was a glaring double standard that was based solely on the language that the work is done in. So then where do you even start the organizing process with something like that when there isn't a track record of that? And I'm sure the uh, executive side of things were aware that this was a possibility and were probably doing things to slow it down if they didn't want it to happen at all. So where do you even start? Uh, good question. I mean, like, like any other, I think, campaign or, you know, let's say you're working on a community organizing project or political organizing campaign, it's, it's a grassroots effort. So I started with those performers um, who were already our members. So as you can imagine, there's there's a number of actors who do start in the Spanish language industry, but then their success gets them to a point where they can cross over into the English language TV world. So, um, so there was definitely a growing understanding that a double standard existed. And, and so the, some, some of these performers actually came to me, like came to our union and asked, for us to figure out how we could end the disparity and at least win. I mean, people, it was, it was a complicated campaign to figure out, <laughs> put it that way, but it was, it was one through grassroots organizing. Yeah. So maybe fast forward to the end or what is the status of the contract now? So what we did in the end of last year, we actually filed with a, government agency called the National Labor Relations Board, and they pretty much govern everything related to to labor relations and the workplace. So we filed for a union vote. So we actually had to collect hundreds of signatures from the actors themselves um, who had worked on a telenovela produced in the U.S. Um, with enough signatures, we were able to petition for a union vote. We won it in March. The vote took place. It was uh, by an 80% margin. So it was really very successful. We were very excited about that. And this was pretty unique um, for the entertainment industry because it was the first time a television network had unionized since the 50s. Um, and by winning the union vote, what we essentially have won is the right to to negotiate a union contract. So the actors voted, or rather the performers, because this also includes stunt performers, dancers, singers, other types of artists that perform on these TV shows. Um, but we went, we won the, the right to negotiate a contract. So now that SAG-AFTRA is officially the union of performers who work at Telemundo, now we're actually in the midst right now of negotiating the first 
contract for these actors. So we haven't achieved everything just yet, but we're, we're making progress um, now in bargaining. And that's why I've been spending a lot of time in Miami and what, why I was um, living a bi-coastal life because Telemundo Productions, I live in Los Angeles and I'm based out of the SAG-AFTRA headquarters here, but Telemundo is based in Miami and that's actually where their production headquarters are. Nice. When we come back after a break, I want to ask Lauren about where she sees organizing going in general in the political climate that we're in and also ask her some other questions about the entertainment industry. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Zag. So, Lauren, because you spent now a lot of time in Florida, obviously Miami is a little bit different than the rest of, of Florida. When you think about the country in general and the, the state of things that we're in, uh, how do you feel organizing is going to be more complicated or less complicated moving forward, not only for entertainment industry, but really any industry that might want to try to bargain and negotiate for uh, the right to do so many things that we know workers should have the right to do? Um, I actually believe or at least what I'm I'm experiencing and seeing is that that people are becoming more emboldened to organize I mean there's you know workplace rights aside right it seems like the whole country especially folks who did not vote for Trump right and we see a lot of a lot of things like socially and politically regressing since he's taken office I think people are ready to organize to resist the regression of our country um, and I think unions and and just the yeah I think labor unions like SAG-AFTRA um, play an important role in taking back our country um, and because essentially a labor union is an organization of of coworkers of colleagues coming together to have a voice and a say in in their working conditions. Um, and then how certain decisions are made, obviously, uh, you know, if it's a company or, or if it's in the public sector, right, there's administrators that are always they're they're in their roles to run those operations, but having, having a collective body of workers to be able to speak up and make sure that one, they're making a living wage, right. That, that raises our, our commensurate with, with the increases in the cost of living that people are able to, to have a health you know, health insurance for themselves and their families, a retirement plan. I think those are bread and butter issues that that everyone cares about, no matter whether you're in a union or not, whether politically you, you agree with labor unions. Um, obviously, not every, you know, like labor unions uh, have also had their own complicated history, right? There was a time um, when they, they excluded certain groups of people. They weren't um, as embracing of immigrants or or people of color. I mean, there was a, there was a time that our whole country, that was just the way it was. But I think today I see a future of a lot of a a more diverse leadership in the labor movement. Um, So I'm looking forward to seeing more Latina workers, more black workers, more, more women of color, more people from the LGBT community, like, yeah, just being emboldened to, to organize. Um, And I mean, it's, it's going to take time, but I do see the transformation happen when people organize for uh, dignity in the workplace and respect on the job, I think that it's an it's a transformative experience that changes people forever because they feel empowered. They feel like they can ask for what they think is fair, um, and it it just it it makes you um, more confident. 
Um, I've seen, for example, people go from from being very quiet and, and soft spoken and and not knowing that they work hard and they deserve a raise, but they won't they won't ask for it because they're afraid to. And being able to see people kind of push beyond that is is pretty cool because that's that's a that's not just you know winning one time. That's changing your attitude for life. So, do you see those changes translating towards? some of the independent contracting industries that we've seen pop up and I put that in quotes, independent contracting, but things like Lyft or uh, other parts of the gig economy, do you see the inevitable outcome is invariably people are going to want to have the same rights that they would have had if they were in a different type of job? Absolutely. I mean, the, the this whole 1099 gig economy, and that's actually something that SAG-AFTRA is one of the few unions that is a safeguard for freelance workers because actors, for example, are freelance, um, freelancing their whole, you know, so uh, the, the, those that, that are working regularly and making a certain income are able to qualify for benefits. And also over over the years, if this becomes your profession, right, because that's the idea. You're, we want to professionalize these these industries that benefit from keeping people, um, making them believe that they're actually their own independent um, business. Right. Which is not the case. I mean, you're essentially working. Uber drivers or Lyft drivers are essentially working for Uber and Lyft. Um, they control most of the aspects of the job, but it's essentially this whole gig economy is just shifting the burden of, of what an employer should cover. I mean, basic things like if you get injured, there's no workers comp if you're a freelancer. So I, I believe just like, um, people organized around the civil rights movement for civil rights, like, and for voting rights, like today, I think it's going to become a growing issue. Otherwise we're going to see an increasing, um, you know, just the, evaporation of the middle class like there's not going to be a safety net in society so i think if anything out of necessity people will have to organize but it it, it does take leadership and structure and i think unions offer that right it, they provide a, a blueprint a, a road map to to figuring out how to win um and hopefully that that is a trend that we'll see um in the coming years. But in the, in the freelance world, I would say there's hope. It's not just SAG-AFTRA that's organizing freelancers. Um, I've seen it happen with the Writers Guild. Um, I mean, you know, I think both our unions are doing a lot of exciting work in, in organizing in these industries that are typically cutthroat, that, that, you know, they're, they're, they're very competitive fields, right? Where I think in the case of performers or actors, they're always made to feel that if they don't accept the role, um, there's always, you know, a hundred other people willing to take their jobs immediately. So it's interesting that sometimes, um, like you would think the entertainment industry is, is something that it's a lot more glitzy and glamorous than it is, but it's, it's got a lot of similarities to, to other, other industries across the country. Has that been the biggest surprise to you working in the entertainment industry? Like once you see behind the curtain or once you see how everything is, is made, that is actually a very blue collar, uh, day-to-day grind kind of industry, not unlike many other typical industries that you would think? Um, yes. They're, they're, I mean, in the case of, of Telemundo, for example, um, one of the reasons people organized because some of the, the principal performers were making as little as $180 a day for an 11-hour day. And that was on paper. They could typically work 16-hour days, six days a week, depending on the role that, that you were um, that you had on the show, but just to see that if you were working on a 
TV production, it's, it's a, it's a machine. It's, it's, it's long hours, sometimes without breaks, sometimes without water breaks. I mean, things that you would imagine happening in, in, in agriculture or in the fields, um, you know, overtime sometimes isn't consistently paid. And if you, if you ask for what you're owed, sometimes you're labeled, you know, the blacklist is still something that people fear. Um, and that's actually the one thing that has struck me um, in, in organizing in this industry is, and I've unionized in the healthcare industries as well. So hospitals, nursing homes, and a lot of them are vulnerable immigrant workers. Um, in, in the healthcare field, there's actually, at least in the world of, of Spanish language TV productions, a lot of the actors are actually immigrants themselves. So I see a parallel in the fear, the fear of not getting work again, the fear of if, if you speak out to demand just fairness, like to, to ask for actors who work consistently to have health insurance and, and a ability to retire in, in dignity in the future. I mean, those people are afraid. So that's what has struck me that the fear, the kind of the emotional <laughs> Uh, roller coaster that people go through when they're forming a union because it's scary. You're you're standing up to an employer, and if you've got a pretty um, uh, intimidating employer, which which I've seen is the case, then um, it's it's scary. But I think ultimately it, it's rewarding when when you finally realize that you can you can speak out for yourself and that you you are you know, there is more power in numbers and that solidarity actually does eventually um, lead to people winning improvements. Nice. That's a good thing to end on. Thanks for all the hard work you're doing. Thanks for hopping on with us. Thanks for listening to the Zag episode number seven. You can catch the first six again on iTunes or on Podomatic. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon. And don't forget, if you're interested in applying to NLC's fellowship that will start in January 2018, application deadline is October 1st. Don't miss it. We'll talk to you soon.